Well, people of God in Christ, as we continue in Paul's letter to the Romans and uh, spend one more sermon on Paul's teaching about sin, we, uh, we might be reminded that it's the Heidelberg Catechism that uh, takes its overall structure from the book of Romans. Uh, whether directly or indirectly, uh, the Heidelberg follows the the theological flow of Romans, sin, salvation, service. We can also say guilt, grace, and gratitude. It may, it may very well be that the writers of the Catechism were intentionally doing this, but we can also see this structure. In other words, they wouldn't have had to have gotten it from Romans. Um, we can see... Uh, this structure to Christian teaching throughout the Bible. And it, it really does make sense. It, it gives us good proof of the logical nature of the, of the Christian faith. Uh, it, takes, it takes knowledge of the bad news in order to hear the glory of the good news. And it's on the basis of the good news that we hear and truly feel the call to live our lives for Jesus Christ and perhaps even give our, give our lives to, to die for our Savior Jesus Christ. How are we going to be prepared for that? For that call to take up our cross and perhaps even lay down our lives for Jesus Christ by knowing the bad news unto the good news and the good news unto that, uh, that humility and that desire to live for our Savior, because He lives for us. Again, it's not just Romans that follows this structure, this pattern of, of logic. And, and that's Paul's point, really, in this passage, Romans 3, verses 1 through 20. As he finishes up uh, his teaching on sin, before moving directly into the proclamation, the explanation of salvation in Jesus Christ, Paul makes the connection, really, to the whole Old Testament and to the history of Israel. Uh, on one hand, Paul had been given to see the, the pattern of sin, salvation, and service in his own life. Uh, remember how he started his letter by identifying himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. So here he was serving Christ, even as a, a preacher and teacher of the gospel, because he had been saved by the gospel. I'm going backwards now through, now we're doing service, salvation, and, and then sin. But how had he come to see the true glory of the gospel? He spent the first part of his life living as a, a Jewish person, even a teacher of the law, and feeling quite confident uh, in himself and, and even persecuting Christ in the gospel. It did so, or he did so, until he was given a, uh, a meeting with Christ uh, on that famous road to Damascus. Then he saw it rightly, and uh, he saw himself rightly in sin, so that even as he was blinded by the glory of Christ, he also came to see the glory of Christ and the gospel, so that he was now serving Christ instead of trying to stop the church and the spread of the gospel. 
So that's what Paul is doing in this passage. He is basically explaining his own experience under the law. So he asks this question in verse 1, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? He himself had lived the first part of his life under the law. And now he understood the, the true purpose of God in giving his people the law. And here he seeks to make it clear to his readers as well. So the first point is this, the advantage of Israel. It was said last time that some 2,000 years separate our own day from, from Paul, but the objections of those uh, who hear the gospel are really the same. There is a certain struggle in, in fitting the pieces together, we might say. With the coming of the gospel in its fullness, the temptation is, is often to say, well, what was all that about the law then? Or another way to ask the question, what's the, what's the whole point of the Old Testament? Takes up some three quarters of my Bible, why is it there? And so people might tend to read the Old Testament and the history of Israel under the Old Covenant as, as well, just you know, lessons in morality, uh, you know, kind of how-to stuff for, for life. But the explanation given by Paul is that the history of Israel stands as a great lesson from God. And it's a lesson to be learned not only by Israel itself, but by all those who later read of that history about what happened to those people who were given to live under the law of God. Then what advantage has the Jew, asked Paul, or what, what is the value of, of circumcision? Which is, to, which is to say, to ask, what is the advantage and the value of the Jewish experience under the law? And he explains it like this, much in every way, to begin with the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. There should uh, probably be an exclamation point in our English translations because the point is certainly an emphatic one. The, the point of the gospel is not to write off the history of Israel. The point of the gospel is not to start over with plan B. The point is not that God finally got down to business in, in saving sinners when he finally sent Christ into the world. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, exclaims Paul. And, and the words to begin with, as he writes, to begin with the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God are, are meant to teach that this was the beginning. Uh, it might sound like Paul simply giving his first point. Here are, here's a listing of his reasons, and, and here's the first point. No, the point is to say, here's the beginning to everything. The book of Genesis uh, tells us the beginning of creation. Uh, it tells us, as we read earlier, the, the beginning of sin in the world. But it's really, it's really the entire Old Testament that tells us the beginning of God's plan of salvation. So there is great advantage here. 
There is an exceptionally high value in the history of Israel in that the Jewish people were entrusted with the oracles of God. Not all English Bible versions use the word oracle here, but, uh, but oracle is probably the best word to help us understand Paul's point. An oracle is a, is a message of, of wisdom. So in the history of Israel, by giving the law to the Jewish people, God was giving wisdom. And they were entrusted with this wisdom. In other words, it was a wisdom not just given to Israel, but entrusted to Israel so that by giving this wisdom to Israel, God was giving it really to all mankind through Israel. If I, if I give you a gift, it's yours to do with what you want with it. But if I entrust something to you, can you hear the difference? If I entrust something to you, it's yours for a purpose. God had a purpose. In fact, God still has a purpose today in giving his law to Israel. But what about Israel's sin, their, their unfaithfulness, to use Paul's word? Uh, doesn't that prove that it didn't work uh, and that God then did something else, something different? After starting with law, he then switched to grace. No, teaches Paul. And again, it's an emphatic no. Israel's unfaithfulness does not nullify what God was doing. It does not nullify the faithfulness of God. Instead, let God be true through every, though everyone a liar, uh, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So are we going to judge God because the law didn't save anybody? No, that's not the point. And the quotation here uh, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you when you are judged. It's from uh, it's from Psalm fifty one. You might recognize uh, King David's well known uh, prayer of confession after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. David had sinned greatly, and uh, Nathan the prophet had been sent by God to confront David. And uh, when David had been convicted for his sin, he included these words in his confession. He was basically saying, I am now confessing my sins, O Lord, and I'm doing it in order to say amen to your charge of sin against me, that you may be justified in your words to acknowledge that you are right. Here is a, a point uh, to make it clear that this is, this is what the confession of sin must be for every sinner coming to Christ in faith. It must start with the law of God and, of course, the law of God given by a holy God. In other words, we must hear the law of God um, uh, or in the law of God the call that Christ gave, be holy as your Father who is in heaven is holy. And as we hear the law, the ministry of the law is to convict us of sin. Uh, there is little point in, in coming to Jesus for only a bit of spirituality in your life. Uh, 
there is uh, uh, there is a little point of of uh, coming to Jesus for a bit of morality in your life. Uh, do we think that we are so different from all those who lived with Jesus as He walked this earth? And and what did they do? They ended up hating Him because. He was so holy. He might have been just a, a good example for a while, but in the end, the, the conviction of sin was, was too much for them to continue to follow Jesus. But for others, the conviction of sin brought them even more to Christ. Under the conviction of sin, they, they came to Jesus not just for spirituality or or morality, but they came for salvation. I think of the feeding of the, of the 5,000 in the subsequent chapter where the people were looking for uh, Jesus once again and uh, they wanted uh, another meal from him. And uh, Jesus said, no, you don't need physical food so much as you need me as your food. Unless someone eats and drinks, eats my body and drinks my blood, he has no life in him. So the people went away, as you may recall the story. But the disciples stayed. The disciples of Jesus stayed. And they were drawn even more to Christ as they came to see their, their need of him all the more. This is what the law can do for us as it convicts us of sin, it can show us how much we need Christ as our Savior. So whether we're looking at King David or the entire history of Israel or at Jesus himself, the point is conviction for sin. The call is not, or to refrain, the call is to refrain from judging the judge, which is the natural tendency of sinners. The call instead is to confess ourselves as sinners, so that, as David writes, and Paul quotes, so that God may be justified in his words and prevail when he would be judged. So here's the second point, which we have already begun, really. The revelation of Israel. There is a revelation from God given through Israel, which is to say through those who are circumcised in the flesh, through those who lived daily under the law of God, and therefore a revelation for us through the whole history of Israel told in the Old Testament. And it was a revelation from God, again, not just for Israel, but for the world through Israel. Here is maybe a, a good message for some of us more than others, but when we read and preach the Old Testament as we do, we are not just making things up and inventing our theology. Uh, no, when, when we see that Adam fell, we see our own fall. When God destroyed the world by a flood, we see God's condemnation of us. When we see the stubbornness and rebellion of the people at Babel, we should see ourselves. When we, when we read of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and, and his sons, 
and and so so many other sinners in the Old Testament. Uh, when we see them, the point is is not just that that they were sinners, but that we should see ourselves in them as well. But even further, the point is that we should be convicted unto repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to hear the gospel than by starting with the law of God. To put it another way, there's no other way to read and understand the New Testament than by reading and understanding the Old Testament. But there is this further objection. If the gospel is true, what was the point of the Old Testament? Paul explains that our Old Testament uh, contains the very wisdom of God for the conviction of sin. Next objection. Well, I guess the conviction of sin is enough. Uh, uh, if God wants conviction, let him have it, and, and, and his purpose will be fulfilled. In fact, let sin continue, because more sin means more conviction, and conviction is the thing, is the thing that God's after, so it all works out. The Apostle Paul would have nothing, nothing to do with that understanding of it. Starting in verse 9, Paul really doubles back and, and begins to repeat the lesson. It's, it's like he's saying, uh, uh, if that's what your objection is, if that's your conclusion to what you just heard me say, you haven't understood it, not by a long shot. He says, what then? Are, are, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And so here's, here's more teaching from the Old Testament uh, in, um, in verses 10 through 8. Even a, a, whole, a whole string of quotations. But, uh, but again, they are not just quotations, but lessons for us. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's the end of the first lesson, from, and it's from Psalm 14. Uh, next is Psalm 5. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. Next from Psalm 140, which we just sang. The venom of asp is under their, their lips. Uh, from, from Psalm 10, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And then their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. That's Proverbs 1. And then comes the conclusion, a kind of summary. As I read the text, I tried to pause before that, because it really is kind of a conclusion, a summary of everything that Paul is just quoted now and therefore taught from, from the Old Testament. It's, it's these words, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36. Perhaps the, the needed thing to say here is that uh, this is one of the reasons why we sing the Psalms. Because by singing the Psalms, we are, we are led, almost forced, <laughs> In a, in a loving way, we are forced to sing the hard things. 
We, we are led to sing the, the bad news of sin along with the good news of God's salvation. And yet, what are we tempted to do? We, we're tempted to say, well, well, that's just talking about other people, you know, the worst of mankind. Uh, that's talking about David's enemies. But the Apostle Paul would have a see have a see it in, in a very different way, that, that when we read of sinners in the Bible, we are reading about the nature of sin within us. Granted, we are not always as bad as, as this, but, but what about our hearts? And uh, even though most of these quotations come from David writing about his enemies, we know that David himself fell into great sin. It strikes me that uh, the same uh, lessons learned here uh, can actually uh, be learned uh, by watching the evening news. Another murder, more theft, uh, corruption in government, corporate greed, cheating here, embezzlement there. And the amazing thing, if you, if you think about it, the amazing thing is that day after day, week after week, the bad news gets reported so calmly, so in such a matter-of-fact way. Oh, there might be, you know, that solemn look on the face of the one giving the news, but where is the alarm? Even more, where is the despair that should be felt? Because that's what... I think we're all feeling, if we hear it right, where will it end? How far will it go? And someone might say despair. Uh, that's, that's something to be put off and to refuse to even feel. But that's the problem, that, that, that so many put off despair and go quietly on their way. They say, uh, that's, that's someone else, not me. And this is exactly what Paul is doing in, in Romans 3. He is, he is doing it in preparation for hearing the gospel so that we will not put off despair and go quietly on our way. And he is making it clear that this is not a new message, this message of despair, because it's the message of the Old Testament. It's the lesson even taught by God as He chose a people for Himself, gave them His law, and called upon the world to watch what would happen. And so the last point is the common commendation of God. The common condemnation of God. Verse 19 begins like this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. The question, of course, is, do we know it? It's almost as, as if Paul is saying, okay, it, you know, is this clear to all of us now? Um, let me know, because I can go over it again. <laughs> Otherwise, we know, now we know, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, the words under the law are important. That's the despair of it. 
Because this is the point, that, that to hear the law is to be under the law. The law always towers over us, and well it should when the law is really the proclamation of God's own holiness and the, and the, the making clear uh, of His call for us to be holy as He is holy. To hear the law is to be under the law. And that's the point. Such is the very ministry of God in giving His law and calling His people to live thousands of years under the law, waiting for a Savior to come to save them. Why did God take so long? I think the best answer is that the lesson being given was just that important important enough to spend thousands of years watching Israel struggle and fall, struggle and fall, and to see God being gracious to them and giving His promise for a Savior again and again and again. And so here is the conclusion of the matter. For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law cannot save us, but neither will the gospel save us without the conviction and condemnation of the law. And just to clarify, it's, it's not, again, not, it's not that the Old Testament is, is law and condemnation. The New Testament is gospel and salvation. We hear of God's grace throughout the history of Israel. Sometimes His grace even to other nations. And Paul's effort here is, is to perpetuate the ministry of the law into the New Testament. So don't put law in the old and gospel in the new. Paul is is making the effort to cross it over, to bring the law to bear upon New Testament believers. But the ministry of God in in the history of Israel is, is to show sin, that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. And by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. So let us read and receive the full counsel of God's Word. Let's, uh, let's not avoid the, the hard passages, even the passages recording God's judgment for sin. It's easy to you know, not spend much time in the prophets, or if we need to go to Isaiah, let's only be in those passages that foreshadow the coming of Christ and that give the good news. Let us not avoid conviction for sin, but even seek, seek to be convicted of sin. But let us do this with the knowledge of Christ and the gospel. Next time we'll, we'll bring the, the transition to Paul's more explicit teaching on the gospel. So let's look forward to that, but let's do so while keeping in mind all that he's taught us now about sin. Amen. Let's pray together. Again, O Lord, we give you thanks for your word and for teaching us 
uh, our sin and also about our salvation. Prepare us in this way to uh, live a life of service, a joyful life of following Christ and, and seeking to do what is right and good, to honor our Savior, the one who has lived and died and risen again for us. O oh Lord, put the pieces together for us so that we would have a, a healthy and mature faith and indeed that we would see Christ in all His glory and live for Him throughout our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.